You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, Isaac, welcome back to Token Theater Friends. Thank you for uh, having me. Oh my God, of course, it's such a pleasure. I'm so happy to be here with you because uh, we are kicking off the month of March. That's going to be all special programming. Uh, and the theme for the month is going to be thank you, theater makers. Uh, thank you. I mean, thank you for all that you have done for us. You know, for for the world. Okay, now I'm gonna cry. Because um, it's been a hard year, and the idea for this theme was that you know you have kept inspiring us. I'm talking to you as if you're all theater makers, uh, which you <laughs> kind of are. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'll stop talking, and I just want to hear about your year. I think that's a great month's theme to thank all the folks who may be out of work, but are still trying to make things maybe not in the most traditional of ways or not in the ways we were trained to or expected to make our art form and our craft. But people have really persevered and reinvented and reinvigorated, I feel, this medium. So thanks for having me for this theme and episode oh yeah of course i'm very happy so you know now i'm gonna go like straight to like business no <laughs> um you have reinvented yourself in many ways at least you know for the public right like you were maybe you were always a writer uh but we didn't know about it and for the past year you you know like you had a play last year and you are about to have a play come out in a month so do you want to talk a little bit about that Sure. I, um, I feel that I was always a hesitant writer and um, nervous to give myself permission to call myself that. And I really um, was inspired by colleagues around me who, who took on the, the multi-hyphenate label with no shame, or even if they felt an imposter syndrome about it, they overcame it. And so that really inspired me um to name a few off the top of my head people like 
Chihe Park, who was getting her master's in acting when I was an undergrad at UCSD. And then she won, I feel like, every playwriting award possible with her play, Hannah and the Dread Gazebo. And um, people like Brian Quijada with his one-man show and um, William Jackson Harper having a play at EST and being on The Good Place and so many others. Claire Barron, just, I really... Um, I always wanted to write and I felt like there was a point in my career where I lacked artistic agency or voice and that to write was my way of exercising it or trying to summon it back or find inspiration or create shows and characters and um, stories that f reflected my world more or what I wanted to see in our industry and in storytelling and so while the pandemic shuttered my off-Broadway would-be premiere last year, companies like um, Mai Theater Company have been so, so supportive and enduring in their support. And so this coming April, there will be a reading, um, a green screen reading of my play, Once Upon a Korean Time, which tackles Korean fables and folk tales and fairy tales, along with um, historical and present day points of trauma and tragedy and um, difficulties facing the Korean and Korean American people. And so, yeah, I, I guess I have really reinvented from just being an actor and, um, and embracing the writer side of myself as well. And let me just tell you that that of the play is so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for reading it. It, it. it is so, it's so enchanting. And I mean, I kept thinking about that word constantly. I was enchanted. And I wish I could say that it was, a, you know, that it could be a page turner because you can't turn pages on your <laughs> iPad. But I felt it was a page scroller. <laughs> um, Thank you. It, yeah, it was so beautiful. And I, I, I was very curious when I was reading it about how, first of all, did you write it during the pandemic? No, I, I, I had started it before and I had had a one day reading of it at Ensemble Studio Theater when I was a member of their Youngblood Writers Group, which is a 30 and under writers group. And that was um, my last reading because I aged out of it. <laughs> and then um, a New York Theater Workshop offered me a, a reading um, and and Ralph Pena directed that one as well. And now Ralph has been championing it with Mayi Theater. And my former roommate works for NYU in the lit department, and they are hosting a series of works um, centered on women and uh, women in storytelling, female identifying in storytelling. And um, she organized this play to be a part of that as it hopefully centers women in it. and. Um, and created a whole panel and talkback series, which I just feel so honored by because it feels like a labor of love from all different directions and unexpected places at that. So, um, I mean, yeah. I would say I can't imagine, but I can't. I'm just like, I was very curious because you're like fine tuning it and getting ready, I guess, for what's coming for, yeah. you know, in its life. How did not having, you know, physical theater, so to speak, or being able to be in community change 
anything. Well, did it change anything? Mm. We, um, the play has a lot of magic and it has a lot of unabashed theatricality, which for me, every play I write, I hope can be a love letter to the medium of theater. And, um, and so it, it was hard for me to first let go of, of what couldn't happen in a shared space and on stage. And something amazing that Mai has done is they've turned their rehearsal space into a green screen slash film studio. And so all the actors this week have been going in one day at a time with a camera operator and a um, technician and the actor in the room and everyone else on Zoom. Oh, and Ralph is in the room directing. It's very distant with masks on, the windows are open, they have the air ventilator going and everyone's getting tested, of course. And um, I feel like I've come to be so grateful for the generosity of everyone in the room and also in the digital rooms and that our lighting designer Chasi is working with a technician in another space that's operating the lights in the room mm. or our projections designer Yinam is gonna be working tirelessly to edit this together with the green screen. And you know we have an editor and an um, a incredible sound designer, Melanie Chen and Cole, and just all these people have decided my little play is worth pouring their time and energy into and and Mai and NYU are being very very generous but I just don't think there's ever a dollar amount that equates to what artists put into their work and so to be on the receiving end of it at least on my imagination to whatever this iteration's execution is I I just am overflowing with the generosity for all of these artists who are taking my perverse sense of humor and you know there's dark comedy and real tragedy and hopefully light and and laughter in there and helping to fully realize that and you know when we just do simple table reads of it we find ourselves laughing and joking and and ralph one day said oh this is what i miss about theater and and we got to tap into it here even if it's on in zoom with shitty internet and people disconnecting you know and lagging and whatnot the magic was still there to tap into and and so i'm so appreciative and excited about what that will potentially be and to share it of course this is so exciting um so you mentioned time and energy but also there's so much love in this play yeah. Yeah. and i mean i won't spoil it obviously because people need to see it if they can um and definitely read it when it's published uh <laughs> but it's let me see how can i say this without like going into like details about the story you're being so good about not spoiling things thank you i'm trying <laughs> i mean we get so little so few pleasures these days right that, that not spoiling <laughs> stuff for others um i would say that it's about giving love and having love almost be like a, a gift and that, that love goes to someone else and then someone else mm. and then someone else. And then by the end of the play, I felt like you had figuratively, I guess, given me your play. And I don't know how to explain that. Uh, no, that was beautiful. That was beautifully articulated. Thank you. 
that was a gift to me to hear you say that. So thank you. It was so exciting. Sorry. Now, sorry, I'm, this is going to be like emotional March, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're hitting a year mark and I feel like everyone's Facebook posts about I was here last year or look at me when and it has been, you know, triggering in one sense and just also a mark of resiliency. I hope that while the joke is it's March still also we've made it a whole other year and um, not without tragedy and, and real hardships for many folks we're also still here and there is a light at the end of the tunnel i choose to believe that and and people are working really hard to to while i don't want to say get back to normal but to at least get to be together again i do feel efforts being made there um progress and i'm liking everyone's vaccine card selfies you know <laughs> Nothing makes me happier. I don't care how you got it, when you got it. There's no shame in it. Every person getting vaccinated feels like such a huge leap in progress and in hope. So, yeah, March is a, a hard month. I, I agree with you there. And it's okay to be emotional about it. Okay, thank you so much. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go back and ask you about the things that you wish you had seen, because then this would be like, also like, so we can go down a rabbit hole of yeah. everything we couldn't see. <laughs> but I want to ask you instead about the things that you loved doing. I mean, you were, mm. I guess, last, uh, let's say, like late summer, early fall. Mm -hmm. And it's been a while. So, you know, how did you feel, I guess, at theater and community void inside you? Mm. I, um, I went through sort of an ebb and flow relationship with Zoom theater. And I um, at times feel so frustrated or um, impotent in what it can and cannot do. And, and then other times I would be reading someone's work or witnessing someone else's collaboration. And I, it really, um, it would surprise me how I could get swept up into it again and that um, there's been a level of access that wouldn't have happened prior to this. There is an awareness about um, needing to, say, pay artists for their time or a value and a recognition for, um, for that. And also, I've just been able to see people or gather in rooms with folks that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so um, sometimes I get frustrated that I can't touch my scene partner or hug my fellow ensemble members or, or really feel what the chemistry or the alchemy or, or the pheromones in a room are. And other times I just, I get caught by surprise when it does work. And I think maybe that's the mark of storytelling or good storytelling or generosity in whatever room it may be, whether it's digital or not. And so when we last talked, I think I had done a reading of a play called Mike Pence Sex Dream. And then in the fall, Ensemble Studio Theater fully realized it as they as much as they could, you know, online. And and that felt equal parts frustrating that, you know, you don't have an audience feedback. You rehearsals were 
very different and tech was very different and my partner felt like it was taking over our entire house and <laughs> and then um but then I, you know, I try to do Zoom happy hours afterward, like as if it was a post-show drink and gathering. And there was something special in that and that people could watch it anywhere in the world. And and my castmates or designers and I would get texts at four in the morning or two in the afternoon. And people had seen it, you know, at, at hours that you normally don't think people are watching a full-length play. And so... <laughs> Um, there's something special about getting to share that there and um, you know I've done other readings and workshops and I think I'm trying to find the generosity and the um, the joy in it each time while mourning um, the loss of the in-person the in the same space and I think it, it's a day-to-day -day negotiation and it changes sometimes minute to minute, and that's okay too. Um, yeah, it's just a process. You are a huge reader, <laughs> uh, bibliophile, I guess is the right word. So yes. I'm curious if, you know, like given this love for storytelling that you have and no pressure, Daniel, mm -hmm. is writing uh, a novel, for instance, like something that you want to do at some point? Oh, totally. I, you know, it took me a long time to give myself permission to want to write a play and or say that I was a playwright. And and now I, I've been devouring fiction in a way, especially fiction that is blurring nonfiction and fiction, the way Nomadland as a movie is doing that or people's oftentimes people point to authors first books as their most autobiographical and i find that every play of mine is very autobiographical and i think why not do that with fiction as well so that is very much an ambition of mine i um i know i read at a, a very rapid rate but it's because i don't have theater every night you know and um um, my partner is a morning person, which means I get maybe one episode of television with him before he falls asleep. And so, and we're not going out clubbing or to bars at night, right? So, so then he falls asleep and then I, um, I pick up a book or, <laughs> or, you know, try to scribble something down, but that has been a source of escape. And I give myself silly homework tasks like, I won't pick up my phone while I read this chapter. And that's a great way to, to avoid doom scrolling. Or I will make myself do a handful of push-ups after this chapter. And then, then it feels like I'm being active and creative, <laughs> staying inspired at the same time or something. Um, but I just, uh, I've had to turn elsewhere for my love of going to the theater three, four, seven nights a week. And so, I'm grateful for all the art mediums that have that are out there and I feel so inspired by a whole other community of artists and um, I think book Twitter is its own thing uh, and and Asian American authors have been really a huge I mean they don't know it unless you know I try to tweet at them maybe but the, it's been a huge source of inspiration and hope and um, spaces of empathy and and I find it's so remarkable that there are so many whereas when i was growing up i felt like i couldn't touch one book you know that was by an asian american author and um and now i have 
shelves and shelves of them and and stacks of them in my to read pile so that's something special and and something worth celebrating for sure it's like as for the people who are not as like you know organized as you are uh your play when it's published is going to be uh one of those shelves right <laughs> i i dream of the day of being published um as a playwright i i thought to myself today that there are two two-person shows that i did a couple years ago the gentleman caller by philip dawkins and the chinese lady by lloyd sa and i believe they're both published and i remember when I was in undergrad reading um, play scripts and seeing the original casts listed in the front pages and thinking, oh, I hope I get to do that because I always knew I wanted to do new works and I hope I get to originate roles in that manner. And and then I I think it was just today I was thinking, oh, I should buy those scripts and and save them as as markers of of a dream realized. You know, it took a long time, but it happens. And so in the same way, if when I can publish my own plays, I will, I will throw a party. It, it is, I think we have to celebrate our, our milestones now more than ever. So I will put on a silly hat and throw biodegradable <laughs> confetti in the air and drink nice champagne and you'll be invited, Jose. Thank you so much. I hope you don't have to wear helmets <laughs> or anything like that by then. Big astronaut head shields and all. Have you seen those COVID yes, ones? Yes. They look like um, the hazmat suits from Breaking Bad, but also like something out of a sci-fi show. Like horrifying, but also I kind of want one. Because I'm like, <laughs> can I wear shades under it? Anyway, you're so the daughter character. Yeah. I'm like, I was reading it. I was like, I could see you. As a if that makes sense. And yeah. I was like, this is you. Uh, it's so beautiful. Anyway, back to... Um, <laughs> No, that's, uh -huh. that's not too much of a spoiler. I The play that would have gone up last year was an all cis male cast. And I had written that and I told myself the play following, I wanted to center women, to, to center female identifying folks. And and in gravitating towards that, the the story surrounds a group of, and then, you know, a very small handful of women and and I, I, I'm so grateful that you recognize my DNA in there. And I'm also excited to be centering those actors, especially, and their stories. And, and the cast we have is just so incredible. And, and the experiences they bring and the, it's not even, I hate that word authenticity lately, but it, there isn't, there is just a, I'll go back to DNA instead that and an empathy and a shared understanding of the folks in the room, whether or not they're Korean or Korean American. And, and that has been really powerful and joyous to, to witness, um, even as they're going on a one-on-one -on -one basis to record. And, you know, our, our great stage manager, Alex is just, is reading opposite them. Um, and the actors are just, you know how people joke how famous movie stars leave set and then the poor <laughs> co-star has to read with a PA or whatever. <laughs> These actors are all reading with our stage manager um, who's doing a great job. But it's it's um, it's amazing. You know, you, you know, these actors are talented when they're 
having to create everything on top of being in front of a green screen. It must be how like Marvel movie stars feel. <laughs> My cast are future Marvel stars. I'm saying it now. You heard it here first. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, and speaking of, you know, working, obviously, while production on your show was halted because of the uh, pandemic, you kind of, I mean, you've been doing a lot of work and you've been seeing a lot of work. So I wonder how going back, which yay, that you're back at work. Yay. How does going back to work and doing, um, you know, television feel after you have been doing theater and you have been seeing theater meant and made for a screen as well? I wonder if you're, I don't know, has anything in your muscle memory or something been like, huh, this is kind of... Hmm. I, um... I had a couple thoughts flash through my head. One is, I think, I wonder about this generation that has lived in front of front-facing cameras their whole life and what that'll do to, quote-unquote, genuine responses when you always know what you look like. And I, I think there's been a, a fatigue and an oversaturation of seeing oneself in Zoom, especially especially for the muggles, the... the um, non-acting um, folk who, who now know what they look like. <laughs> you know, I had a friend once, I think it was Ali On, who is a Korean-American actor, and she said to me once, Daniel, we have to be careful because we have resting bitchy Asian face. <laughs> and I laughed so hard at that. But now how many people have seen themselves in Zoom and thought, oh, I have a resting, you know, bored face or a resting, you know, condescending face <laughs> Anyway, that's just one thought I had. But um, I hit set last week, I believe, and we did something called a COVID tech rehearsal. And they walked us through what a normal day would look like in these non-normal circumstances of the pandemic. And I felt such love and generosity to be back on set, to be with my cast of billions and the crew and whomever could return um, based on their availability and you know if they booked another job or not and um, it was just so special to to be there and um, I'm fortunate on billions that my my set for my character is really just one two-story set piece and and it feels like going to a theater for me at least because I know where my backstage dressing room is and I know you know where I get food say or where the restrooms are and it i a lot of our actors are theater practitioners as well and so it felt like going home to a theater in that way and and um while not being able to hug or having folks keep us six feet apart and everyone having masks and face shields and all these other protocols are in place i felt an immense generous spirit in the room in gratitude and while there are some folks who have still been busy working and go them i personally haven't touched a film or tv set um since i left you know 51 weeks ago i think our our director of photography posted you know he just had a casual 51 week hiatus <laughs> and um it was just so special to to be there again and I have to say though, even before the pandemic, I'm recalling this one story. I can't remember the very specifics of it, but I think we had someone on crew that was 
um, subbing in for the day. That wasn't part of the core cast. And they were sort of um, like rolling their eyes or muttering about something. Um, and they were frustrated. It was either like time constraints or something about the pressure of the day. And I remember David Costable, who plays Wags, saying, hey, 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 we don't do that on this set. If you have a problem, you say so. But we're all here because we are so fucking lucky to be here. And so if you have any issue, you just communicate about it. We, we're not muttering under the breath, complaining kind of people. Everyone wants to be here, is happy and grateful to be here and wants to do this work. And I just got to witness that, you know, it was by me. I think it was a big crowd scene. And I, I've always thought that that is true of our show. And, and so to have the pandemic halt us for this long and then for for everyone to still come together and overcome these odds and obstacles and hardships and and just try again is so remarkable and so such a testament of of what this show means to people but also just storytelling for this art form for a, a collective fuck you to the pandemic and and not letting it hold storytellers down and every department every person there is just working their asses off to keep us and each other safe and to keep the engine going against all odds and that there's just no amount of praise or credit that can be given to that or dollar sign i i just wish we could make everyone millionaires this um People are working so hard. And that's just one set, you know? There were other shows that started up even earlier, or movies and, you know, even theater projects I hear of that have happened in person. And that's so much more than anyone ever expected. It's hard enough to make a story in the first place. And yet now we have COVID protocols to also throw in there and inflate the budget and make everything more difficult. And yet, People are still trying. We are still overcoming, and that—that's incredible. That yeah, that's like uh, like goosebump uh, inducing, I guess, or giving. Uh, it must be so cool. I miss people so much, and it's like so weird to, yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, this is kind of like a Meryl Streep slash Marvel hero kind of question for you. Okay. So you uh you know what is it like to go back and be playing a character that you haven't played in so long was it like i don't know like seeing an old friend was it like putting on mm. a jacket that you forgot you had or was yeah. it much less metaphysical and more like let's do this than that i i find that i am both an inside out and an outside in actor and my character ben kim has I don't want to say a uniform, but there are, you know, a handful of shoes that are my characters or these J. Crew pants that I wear. This it's usually a, a white t-shirt with a button down or a polo shirt over it, and then another layer of a fleece vest or a zip-up jacket of some sort, because you know, I've learned offices are cold, and so everyone, no matter what time of the year, wears layers in the offices, it seems like. <laughs> And um, I was grateful that my costume fit. 
And that was the common joke amongst the cast, whether or not they fit. <laughs> One actor was like, my pinky ring doesn't even fit. And I thought that was the funniest thing. Um, and, and when I put that on and when I have, you know, I have a set, I, it does feel like familiar things coming back. And I find that my character speaks in a certain way and cadence and tone and um, the environment and the people I play off of. It sort of felt like putting on a comfy, familiar hoodie again. You know, you know the smell, you know the texture, and it's just nice to put it on. And I'm lucky that I play a nice little character, you know. <laughs> He's a nice guy, and so it's nice to put that on. Um, not to say I wouldn't mind playing, you know, terrible douchebags or horrible people, and that wouldn't be fun to, to wear again, too. But um, I found that the costumes and the sets... Um, really brought me back to something that, um, you know, it's it's a journey since 2015. So there's it is very familiar in some ways, but never a complacency, luckily, because of the writing and the challenges of the show. But definitely an, an ownership. And it's nice to say hi to that friend again. So. Oh, so cool. I'm so happy for you. Thanks. And, you know, out of all the, like the different mediums i guess or the ways to explore the medium that you got to try since the pandemic started so i feel like you've done like visual like album story telling kind of things <laughs> like audio like uh -huh. you've done every version basically of what <laughs> <laughs> but digital theater could offer um was there one or are there elements from all of them maybe that you want to bring along with you as you go into your future as a theater maker i mean fingers crossed when things reopen uh but even if not are there elements from digital theater that you are like yes i'll keep you yeah in me forever yeah um a number of things for me equal access is really important and i found that theater prices can be or just are oppressive at times and the way that people can reach it now and hopefully can continue to i hope is a practice we keep and prioritize so that that people who normally wouldn't get to see these stories get to see them um you know say hamilton on disney plus as an example or national theater live being free as another example and i think that's so important to foster the next generation of theater lovers and attendees and um and then i also think about there's this one project I've worked on for three acts now. It's a five-act play called Nero by Kyung Park, who's also directing it. And he has this amazing costume designer, Andrew Jordan, who just sent us costume pieces from the waist up. And, and just, I know a lot of thought and care and work went into it. But there was also like a, this rapid turnaround of this is the idea now it is in your mailbox and now you put it on and you do it that i'm familiar with on film and tv a lot more and um to get to do that in theater the i'm the actor that loves the rehearsal skirt or the you know the rehearsal prop like i love that tangible stuff and um i see that being more uh in play in a way but with people's own homes essentially and their own props and 
I did a reading once and a char- the character I played just kind of popped in and out uh, over and over again. And I would just, I just thought, how do I make this fun for myself? Zoom theater can feel so redundant. So I just, I just changed my shirt every scene. And it was just a small thing that I did for me, but it made, you know, I, people started commenting and laughing and texting me about it. And I thought, oh, right. If I'm having fun, other people are having fun. And, and isn't that so important with this fairy tale play once upon a Korean time? I just, I see these actors making ridiculous large choices that you normally would think, oh, that's not, is that appropriate or is that too big? And at this point, I just think there are no rules. Zero fucks, let's explore everything and give permission to it. And that's where the surprising laughter comes from, where the, the gut punch. And I, I want to be more open to that going forward too. It's like we've broken the rules and rather than going back to them as in the way they were before, how do we sort of like take from it? I find that I'm a magpie in my writing and I'm always taking the shiny things I like around me. And as an actor, I'm not of one method and I just take things that I like. And so maybe we just do that as an industry. We just pick and choose things that we've enjoyed and, and you know, go back to the things we missed too and create something new out of it. Yep, I always say syncretism for the win. It's my yeah. favorite. Yeah. yeah. Get everything you get from the buffet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you never know what flavors will be good there. Given the lack of, you know, like feedback in terms of applause and cheers mm-hmm. and everything that you get from, you know, acting on stage, can you talk a little bit about how people who love your work, that's a, that's a good word to call them, you know, because uh, it's like audience members, fans, but you know, like so many other things. Um, how, has that has that relationship? You know, obviously, nothing can replace that energy. But how has that energy, you know, the applause energy, manifested or transformed into something else in this year? Hmm. I think about maybe some. I don't know if it's pithy, but just there's the advice given to young actors to not do it for the applause to not do it for the laughs to not do it for the tears or the accolades and i think that is more important than ever and and i think about my mind's going in multiple directions it was just the golden globes this past weekend right and i think about how the hfpa were called out for their lack of representation in the group. And I am of a mind that that does need to be dealt with, absolutely. And also, I celebrate that Minari and Nomadland won those awards and how much those movies meant to me and the people who were a part of that, while also holding space for the bullshit that Minari was considered a foreign language film, even though it's an American film. And, you know, that that multiple truths can be true at once, or I can hold space for all of the above. And I think that also applies in this applause laughter thing of, of I miss it, I miss the feedback. I do theater because I, I love the relationship with the audience and it, you know, I sometimes traced it to my religious upbringing, but I, I name it as church. I, I hold, 
the theater in a sacred space and the rituals and the the gathering and the you know audience in a dark space breathing together you know the heartbeats synchronizing i think that is holy and magical and so i do miss that and i've also come to appreciate a simple text message a dm on instagram or twitter or a tweet i just it's like those little things that that i thought i wouldn't ever care about actually became so much more important and i i had a tiny pot of friends and um i did this play last year for high school students and you know my partner and i and two of our friends came over and we watched it on youtube being live streamed and i thought oh a viewing experience for me prior to this would be dozens and dozens of friends or a packed movie theater or something like that a packed theater and instead the four of us watched this ensemble of high school students reading words that i had written and that i fucking loved that so much and that was so special in ways that i i think a previous a pre-pandemic daniel would say well that's so um that's so small or so you know quiet and instead i've i've the quiet has become louder the the small has meant more and is of deeper impact and maybe that's something to keep holding on to so that it's not about packed stadiums or standing ovations or huge responses and and you know people listen differently and people interact with art differently and i think it'll continue to be different and um and i'm curious to see where that will go Daniel, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Like, thank you especially for coming back and being uh, our favorite guests and also people out there doing work, but also just like people. Uh, I make no sense when I get emotional, sorry. Uh, but thank you. Thank you really for, for being back here with us. Uh, do you want to tell our um, viewers and our listeners where they can find every Daniel K. Isaac thing they can stream, watch, buy. <laughs> of course. I um, thank you for having me. Thank you for being my lifeline to theater throughout this pandemic, Jose, and for continuing to elevate and showcase theater practitioners during these times. I think that's so amazing. And so thank you for that. And I, if you want to, watch a group of intrepid high school students performing a play based on interviews they conducted during the pandemic. There's something called The Hope Project on YouTube, I think it's available to watch. So The Hope Project by Daniel K. Isaac. I think that search should pull it up. And um, upcoming, I have Once Upon a Korean Time by yours truly, directed by Ralph B. Pena as a collaboration with Mai Theater Company and NYU which will be available for free in April. I believe April 7th, and it'll stream for four days or so. And I'll make sure to blast that on Twitter and Instagram, where you can find me at, at Daniel K. Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, not two S's, the <laughs> biblical spelling. And um, yeah, 
billions. There's five and a half seasons available, and we are hard at work to finish season five for you now and get into season six. And I really love the show The Other Two on Comedy Central, which I think is now on HBO Max. So go watch that. And I'll keep working hard to get stories out there for everyone. And please stay safe. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much. And also take care of yourself, Daniel. You too. You too. <laughs> As I have, that looked very threatening. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.